Chapter 18 of Anything You Can Do by Randall Garrett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Anything You Can Do. Chapter 18 The detective pushed his way out of the crowded courtroom before the rest of the crowd started to move. The members of the jury were still filing in, and he knew that no one else would leave the room until the verdict was in. He didn't care. He knew what the verdict ought to be. He knew also that juries had occasionally been swayed by histrionics on the part of the defense counsel, and had been persuaded to free guilty men. He knew, too, that prosecutors had railroaded innocent men. But such things as that didn't happen often in the belt. A man doesn't live too long in the belt unless he's capable of recognizing truth when he sees it. But even if the wrong verdict had been brought in, there would have been nothing he could do about it now. He had done his part. He had done everything he could. He had brought them in. He had testified. All the rest of it was up to the jury and the court, those two enigmatic halves of justice and judgment. The point was that this was the perfect time to leave the courtroom. When he reached his office he could if he wanted, and he thought ruefully he probably would want to, in spite of his pretended indifference, call up to find out what the verdict had been. But during these few moments all eyes were on the jury-box. No one was watching who left quietly by the side door of the big courtroom. He moved silently and with assurance in the fractional G-field of the planetoid. One of the uniformed guards looked at him and smiled, throwing him an informal salute. The detective returned both. "'If any of those news reporters ask which way I went,' he said amiably, "'tell them I went that away. He gestured over his shoulder with a thumb. "'I ain't even seen you, Mr. Martin,' said the guard. The detective waved his thanks and kept going. It wasn't that he disliked newsmen. Most of them were fairly intelligent, pleasant people. But he didn't want to be asked any questions right now. He had given them interviews aplenty during the trial, and they could use those, now that the end of the trial had lifted the news ban. They had plenty of quotations from Stan Martin without asking him what he thought of the verdict itself. Ten minutes later he was in his own office in the Lloyds area. Helen, his secretary, was just cutting off the phone as he walked into the outer office. She flashed him a big smile. They just gave the verdict, Mr. Martin, guilty all the way down the line, conspiracy, extortion, kidnapping, and all the others. The only not-guilty verdict was a minor one. They decided that Hedgepeth wasn't involved in the actual kidnapping itself, and therefore wasn't guilty of the physical assault of the guard. They're probably right, the detective said, but, as you said, it's a minor point. It doesn't much matter whether he was physically present at the time the boy was taken or not. He was certainly in on the plot." He paused, frowning. "'That's over and done with, except for a possible appeal. And it's unlikely that that would involve us, anyway. Get Mr. Pelham on the phone, will you? I'll take it in my office.' "'The Morton case?' she asked. "'Yeah. There's something fishy about the wreck of the spaceship Morton and I want Pelham to let me work on it." He went on into his office and had barely sat down when the phone hummed. "'Yes,' he said, depressing the switch. "'Mr. Benheim would like to speak to you, sir,' Helen said formally. 
Oh? In order to have gotten here so quickly, Benheim, too, must have left before the verdict was delivered. He was hardly more than a minute behind the detective. And that was unusual in a man who was waiting at the trial of the kidnappers of his own son. Still, Moisha Benheim was an unusual man. "'Tell him to come right on in,' the detective said. "'Oh, and Helen, hold off on that Pelham call for a little while.' He didn't want to be talking business while Ben Heim was in the office. "'Yes, sir,' she said. A few seconds later the door opened and Moisha Ben Heim came in. He was not a big man, but he was broad of shoulder and broad of girth, built like a wrestler. He had a heavy graying beard and wore it with a patriarchal air. He was breathing rather heavily as he came through the door, and he stopped suddenly to pull a handkerchief from his pocket. He began coughing, harsh, racking, painful coughs that shook his heavy frame. "'Sorry,' he said after a moment. "'Damn lungs! Shouldn't try to move so fast!' He wiped his lips and put the handkerchief away. The detective didn't say anything. He knew that Moisha Benheim had injured his lungs eighteen years before. An accident in space had ruptured his spacesuit, and the explosive decompression that had resulted had almost killed him. He had saved his own life by holding the torn spot with one hand and turning up the air tank valve full blast with the other. The rough patch job had held long enough for him to get back inside his ship, but his lungs had never been the same, and his eyes were eternally bloodshot from the ruptured and distended capillaries. I noticed you slipped out of the courtroom, he went on. I hope you don't mind my following you. Of course not, Mr. Benheim, the detective said. Sit down. Benheim sat in the chair across the desk from the detective. I didn't wait for the verdict, he said. I knew the conviction was certain after you testified. Thanks. My secretary got the news just before you came in. Guilty straight across the board but your son's testimony was a lot more telling than mine." "'Guilty,' Benheim repeated with satisfaction. "'Naturally. What else? I admit my son's testimony was good,' he continued. Little Schmuller told his story like a little man up there in the witness-box. Never looked scared, never got mixed up. But Schmuller's testimony was your testimony, too, Mr. Martin. If it hadn't been for you, he wouldn't be here to testify, for which I'm grateful to God." Then he leaned back and spread his hands apart in a gesture of dismissal. "'But that's all over and done with,' he said. "'I came about a different matter.' Again he paused, as if picking his words carefully. "'Do you know a man named Bartimus Nguma?' "'Nguma? Yes, I met him once. Why?' "'He was in the courtroom today. He came to see me just before court convened.' "'Oh?' the detective said noncommittally. Yes, he claims to represent an organization on Earth which has been trying to hire you for a job there. Is that right?" That's right, the detective said warily. What did he want with you? Now, that's a funny thing, Benheim said. It seems that he's under the impression that you turned down his job to take on this kidnapping. Is that right? Not exactly the detective said tightly. I was working on your son's case before he and a couple of other men came out here to talk to me. But they'd written to me long before that. 
he wondered what Ben Heim was getting at. He didn't know any explanations to the industrialist, but on the other hand he couldn't be impolite to him. "'I see,' Ben Heim said, nodding his head slowly. Like most Earthies, Mr. Nguma is suffering under a misapprehension. He seems to think that I have some sort of hold over you, that I was the one who made you turn down his job so that you take my case." Oh? Was he angry because you'd put your own selfish interests ahead of his unselfish ones? The detective asked with a trace of hard sarcasm in his voice. Oh, no, said Ben Heim. Oh, no, not at all. He said he understood perfectly. But he wondered if, now that my boy had been returned safely, I might not put a little pressure on you to get you to take his case. And what did you say? Moisha Benheim scowled. I told him exactly where he could head in. I told him that I had no power over you whatever, that I hadn't hired you at all, that I didn't even know that you were working on the case until after you rescued Schmuel. I told him that even if I held the power of life and death over you, I would never lift so much as a finger against you. I told him that it was just the other way around, in fact. I told him that you have such a power over me, because of what you did for Schmuel, that it is I who will jump through your hoop, if ordered, not the other way around. I was quite angry." Benheim relaxed a little before going on. Actually, I'm sorry I blew up. He's a well-meaning man, I think." No doubt, the detective said. Did he tell you what the job was? With most heart-rending particulars, said Benheim. I was told all about how this Nipe has been killing and eating people, as if I didn't know already. But it wasn't until I heard him talk that I realized how scared people are back there on Earth. You know, Martin, we're insulated out here. We don't feel that terror, even when we read about it or see the reports on the newscasts. If everybody on Earth is as scared as that Mr. Nguma is, it's a wonder they haven't all panicked and taken to running around in circles." As a matter of fact, Mr. Benheim, the detective said levelly, they have begun to do just that. Mr. Nguma and his friends have been after me for a long time to take their job. They have pulled every trick they can think of including this last one with you, to get me to go back to Earth and find that monster. I have refused them so often and so firmly that they are convinced I'm afraid to tackle the Nipe. They are convinced that I know I'll fail, and yet they keep after me. If that isn't running around in circles, it'll do until a better example comes along." "'They're out of their minds,' Ben Heim said flatly. "'Of course. No man in his right mind would try to face down that thing. It would be as silly as trying to outrun a bullet, or do arithmetic faster than a computer. That's common sense. That's showing a healthy respect for the Nipe, not fear. At least, not fear in the way that those men are afraid." Suddenly the detective knew why the industrialist had come. He knew that Moisha Benheim wanted to reassure Stanley Martin to tell him that he was doing the sensible thing in turning down so dangerous an assignment. He could almost have predicted word for word what Ben Heim was going to say next. "'Nguma may be here at any minute,' said the industrialist. He told me that he was going to come as soon as the trial was over. What are you going to tell him this time? I know it's none of my business, but I'm asking just the same.' 
I'm going to tell him no, the detective said. I will not return to Earth for any reason whatever. Good, said Benheim. Good. That's the smart thing to do. And don't let him buffalo you. We know you out here in the belt, Martin. I've been out here for thirty years, and I know what kind of guts it takes to do the things you've done. Those men don't understand space. Nobody understands space until he's lived in it and worked in it, and had cold death only a fraction of an inch away from his skin for hours and days at a time. No matter what those earthies say, we know you've got more guts than anybody else in the belt, to say nothing of those stay-at-homes on earth." "'Thank you. I appreciate that,' the detective said. But they were only words. He knew that Ben Heim meant exactly what he said, or thought he meant it, but he also knew that Ben Heim and others would always wonder why he had turned the job down. God, he thought, I wish I knew. The thought was only momentary. Then, as it had done so many times before, his mind veered away from the dangerous subject. Moisha Ben Heim stood up. Well, that's all I had to say, Mr. Martin. I just wanted to warn you that that man might be coming around and to tell you how I felt. Remember what I said about jumping through a hoop. Any time you need me, for anything at all, you just say so. Understand?" I understand, the detective said, forcing a smile. He rose and shook the industrialist's outstretched hand. And thanks again, he added. After Benheim had gone, the detective sat thinking toying with a pencil on his desk. Moisha Benheim, like so many others in the belt, had come out with nothing but his brain and his two hands and the equipment necessary to keep him alive. In thirty years he had parlayed that into one of the biggest fortunes in the solar system. It was men like that whose respect he valued, and on the surface he apparently had that respect but refusing the knipe job would dull the bright sheen of that respect, and he knew it. Benheim had talked about how foolish it would be to try to beat the knipe in a face-to-face -face encounter, but he hadn't meant it. He knew perfectly well that all Stanley Martin would be expected to do would be to find out where the knipe's hideout was. Once that had been accomplished, men and machines, most especially machines, could wipe the monster from the face of the earth. One well-placed bomb would do it, if the authorities only knew where to place that bomb. If only. Again his mind veered away, refusing to consider the knipe too carefully or too closely. The intercom on his desk hummed and he pressed the switch. Yes, Helen? That Mr. Ngumu was here while Mr. Benheim was with you, Mr. Martin. I followed your instructions and told him that you would not see him. Fine. Thanks, Helen. Also, there's a radiogram for you from Earth." If it's from one of Nguma's colleagues, the detective said, I don't want to see it. File it in the cylindrical file, under W. I don't think it is, the secretary said doubtfully. I can't make any sense out of it. I'd better bring it in. Okay, and then put that call through to Pelham. I want to get going on that Morton spaceship wrecking. I'm getting itchy for action. She brought in the radiogram and put it on his desk before calling Pelham. She had already read it, of course. It was her job to read such things. The detective picked up the sheet of paper and read it. The operation is about to begin. 
I need the other half of my forceps. Come home and join the big parade. Mannheim." It took a second for the words to really impress themselves on his mind. He read them over again. And then the veil began to drop from the closed-off part of his mind. Memories began to swarm back into his mind, memories that had been walled off and kept away from his conscious mind by the hypnotic suggestion implanted so long ago. Oddly, it did not surprise or shock him. He was an expert at hypnosis, especially self-hypnosis. He recognized the message for exactly what it was, a series of code phrases designed to break the blockage that had been placed in his mind. His only reaction was to laugh aloud. "'By God!' he said. "'It worked! It actually worked! Nearly six years and I never suspected once!' The phone hummed. He switched it on. "'Mr. Pelham is on the phone, Mr. Martin,' Helen said. He watched as the florid, smiling face of Pelham, his superior, appeared on the screen. "'What can I do for you, Martin?' he asked. "'I have a favor to ask, Mr. Pelham.' "'Anything within reason,' Pelham said. "'After this Benheim affair, you're in good standing around here,' he chuckled. "'I want a leave of absence.' the detective said. Pelham looked a little surprised. "'Well, I guess you deserve it. You need a rest, I imagine.' "'No,' the detective said. "'No, it isn't that. I'm going after bigger game is all.' "'What's that?' "'I'm going to Earth to find the Nipe.'" End of Chapter 18